Today we're going to close out this series that we've called Questions Jesus Ask. He asked a couple of hundred questions in, in the Bible, in the New Testament, in the gospel narratives, and we're looking at several of them, have looked at several of them. And today we're going to ask a, look at a question that Jesus asked about your worry, your worry and mine. And let me ask you just to show a hands. do you have something you're kind of worried about this morning, something that's just kind of maybe clinging to you a little bit, something maybe you're clinging to or clutching tightly, and it's dominating you to some extent. Some of us worry occasionally, some of us worry recreationally. You know who you are. I want you to turn, take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 9. In a moment, we'll put it up on the big screens, but turn to Matthew chapter 9. It's always good to have an open New Testament there with you, in front of you. That'd be a very good thing. As you turn to Matthew 9, I'll tell you the story of two men, two bankers. They were having lunch together discussing the economy. And Tom said to Larry, man, how are you feeling? And Larry said, I haven't felt better. I don't have a care in the world. Tom said back to him, well, that's interesting because just a few months ago, man, you were eaten up with worry. You were worried sick. And Larry said, well, you know, it, I, I've solved it. I, I hired a professional worrier. Professional worrier said, yeah, I just pay him to handle all my worries for me. And Tom said to Larry, well, how much does he charge? He said, $100,000. He said, that's a lot of money. Because, yeah, he said, well, how do, you, how, do you, how do you handle that? How do you take care of that $100,000? He goes, yeah, I just let him worry about it. <laughs> Wouldn't it be good if for all of us we had someone that when things started to bother us, we could just turn it over to, to that person and they'd take care of our worries for us. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be good? Nod your head if you think that, that'd be cool to have that. Today, I say you do. In Matthew chapter six, verses 25 to 34, let's throw that up if we would. Therefore, I tell you, this is Jesus speaking in the most famous, the best sermon ever preached. Uh, some of you think you hear that here sometimes, but no, this is the best one ever. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And here's our question. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, he mentioned Solomon because Solomon is the richest man on the earth and rich people have threads, right? In all his glory, Solomon was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I just, I need to have a moment here because it just occurred to me that's one of the first Bible verses I ever memorized when I was a little kid with thick blonde hair. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Say amen if you believe this last, last part. For tomorrow, tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Here we go. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Amen to that? Amen. Mm. I want to 
I want to cast a scenario, a movie scenario to you, and then I want you to help me. I'm going to pause and get you to finish the movie, okay? It's a fake movie scenario, so you know. Mom and a dad are in the front seat, a boy and a girl, brother and sister in the back seat. It's Christmas Eve, dad's driving, mom's next to him. Snow is gently falling, and they're listening to Christmas music as they drive to grandma's house on Christmas Eve. No, but no one gets hit by a reindeer, okay? They're driving to grandma's house on Christmas Eve, listening to Christmas music, jingle bells comes on, snow falling, the car's rolling through a quiet, a quaint little street, Christmas lights all around. When jingle bells comes on, dad reaches down and turns it up, and not only is dad singing, everybody in the family is singing at the top of their lungs. Imagine the delights, imagine the expressions, they're singing jingle bells aloud. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, what happens? Tell me your answer. What happens? It's a fake scenario. I'm hearing car wrecks. Yell it. What's your answer? We're hearing car wreck over here. What else you got? Accident, okay. A thousand respondents were given this scenario, a thousand Americans, and 65% of them said what I heard a couple of you say, an accident a car wreck. 10% were, more, were similarly fatalistic in their scenario. A couple were very creative. One guy said a serial killer shows up at the house and goes on a murderous rampage. Uh, one guy said a shark shows up and eats everybody. And I asked you this morning, how do we go from Jingle Bells to Jason or Jaws? There's just some sort of low grade the shoe's about to drop, it's, this is too good, it's too good to be true, something's just bound to happen here. Something what? Something bad. And an overwhelming 90-something percent in that, of respondents in that survey, that fake movie scene survey, came up with something pretty tough like that. I want to say a few things based on Matthew chapter 6 and what Jesus teaches here about worry. And the first is that worry is rooted in in fear. What does Jesus think about acid reflux? Worry is rooted in fear. I've said this many times from here, and repetition aids learning, so I want to say it again today. The most common command in all the Bible is do not fear, do not fear. And next to that, right after that, usually the truth that's stated is, for I will be with you, for I will be with you. Scripture never says, hey, look around you, you've got no reason to fear. That's never recorded in scripture. But we are told, you're told, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. Fear, or rather worry, is rooted in fear. If you're a note taker today, on the left side of the page, write the word uncertainty down. And on the right side, write the word certainty. And then draw a line in the middle. We hate uncertainty, don't we? We, we hate it. One of the pastors I've been reading from lately, Mark Batterson, in his book about prayer circles. He talks about how that we ought to learn to embrace uncertainty. He says that relational uncertainty is called romance. Spiritual uncertainty is called mystery. Occupational uncertainty is called destiny. We need to embrace uncertainty, but we spend a lot of effort, energy, and time, a lot of resources, a lot of emotional reserves, trying to what? To turn uncertainty into certainty. But consider the volume of uncertainty in your life. Your health, you can eat all the spinach you want and do all the Pilates, you can yoga, you can spin, 
You can run the 5K, the 10K, the 13.1, the 26.2. You can swim, bike, and run the 70.3, the 140.6, and you can put the white bumper sticker on your car for everybody to see. But your body is wasting away, and there are no health certainties, are there? Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, the outward man is wasting away. Some of us have trouble with aging. But the outward man is wasting away. There's health uncertainties in our day. There are job uncertainties in our day. There are volatile market forces. There's economic downturn and uncertainty. And there's no guarantee that the job you have today will be the job that you have tomorrow. Or if you keep the job, will it be as prosperous as it is now or as it has been or as you plan for it to be? Relational uncertainty. There's no guarantee, folks, that the one you love will love you in return. Shakespeare called it unrequited love, and it's among the most painful things in the room. But what do we do? We gear up and go for certainty. But there's, there's no guarantee of that. Certainty, uncertainty on one side and certainty on the other. And write the word fear on the left side and the word faith on the other side. And there's a, there's a thin line. In fact, Jesus in this word is translated in Matthew 6, the word do not be anxious, do, do not worry, is translated divide. It's to be divided. And you and I, we, we are in many ways what one writer calls a practical atheist. Where we say, God, I believe you. We certainly say it at church. We say it when we go to our, our community groups and talk to our friends. I believe, I believe, but yet we live another way. And the question that's presented for us in life is, are we going to be crippled by fear or characterized by faith? The scripture is lined with stories of people like you and I, no superstars, normal men and women, and God tells them to go somewhere. He never tells them to go when they're ready and fully equipped to do so. Like the great story of Abraham. Go, and he was called to go, and he didn't know where he was going to go. An amazing level of uncertainty. How much time do you spend trying to turn your uncertainties into certainties? Jesus is teaching us that worry, it's rooted in fear. A second thing that worry does, I'm going to give you four this morning, but a second thing that worry does, I think we can put it up, is worry gives small things a big shadow. The Beatles had a song years ago. It started like this. I read the, I read the news today, oh boy. And there's a part of your brain that's activated, super activated in ways I think that's so subtle and nuanced that we probably don't fully appreciate it. Let's say you have a trip to take and you're going on a business trip and you get up early one morning and you drive to the airport, but you realize you got to put some gas in your car. It's going to be there in the parking lot, the long-term parking when you get back from your business trip. So you stop at the gas station to get gas because you need it. And you walk in to grab a couple of items for your trip and you see the front page of the Clarion Ledger and you see the words emblazoned on the cover, terrorist attack. And pictured there is a violent, massive explosion. Just what you needed before a flight. 
You pay for your items and you push the door and as you push the door, you see a picture of a young girl and it says missing girl. And that saddens you because, well, a girl is missing, but that girl that's pictured looks like your girl that's home in bed sleeping. You hop in the car to head to the airport. Time is of essence now because you got, you got to wait in that line that they're talking about that you've heard on the news. Oh, boy. And as you drive, you see a digital sign that says Amber Alert. Not long after that, you see another digital sign that says, be careful, 73 Mississippians killed on the roadways this year. Buckle up, pay attention. And maybe those 73 wouldn't have lost their lives if they didn't have to read signs like that, right? And you get there and you park and you go through that line, that TSA line, right? Because it's government mandated, right? It needs to be privatized. Will one of y'all do that for me, okay? But you wait in that line and you hear in the overhead, in the overhead speaker voice at the airport for all to hear that the national threat level has just gone up to orange. And you don't know what orange means, you don't know the level. You got, you know, you got red, green, yellow on the stoplight, but you're trying to remember what orange, but you heard the word, it's gone up to orange. And you look over, you're, you're getting stripped down now, you're having to take off your shoes and your watch and your belt and your cell phone, you're having to give all that up to the government mandated employees and they're stripping you down and you see someone who looks to you like a suspicious passenger. And you board your flight and you hear some announcement from a real sweet flight attendant that talks about oxygen mask and the seat being equipped as a flotation device. You're not traveling over any water, you don't think. At that point, you'd need to pop some Ambien and you're breathing in a brown paper bag, right? Because why? Because worry, it gives small things, it turns small things into a really big shadow. And that's the world more than ever that we're living in. Some of your problems become very pronounced because of the assault that's happening all around you. And the third thing that I want to say, not only is worry rooted in fear, not only does worry give small things a big shadow, worry is unproductive. Our question, look down at verse 27. If your Bible is open, we had it highlighted because it's our question of the day. It's our last question in this sermon series. Can you really add, Jesus asked, can you add a single hour to your span of life because you worry? Can, can you do that? It's, it's terribly unproductive. Keeps you up at night, causes you to be irritable all day. Back aches, neck aches, stomach aches, headaches. Consider Proverbs 12, 25. An anxious heart weighs a man down. Any of you ever experienced that? Anxiety that gets into the deepest part of you and what does it do? It weighs you down. It's unproductive. Some of you enjoy TED Talks. I encourage you to if you don't. Dr. Brene Brown has one of the most watched TED Talks out there. Here's what she says on her talk on vulnerability. We're the most addicted, medicated, and in-debt adult cohort in human history. Medical research, listen, follow this, it's so profound. Medical research has shown that a person cannot selectively numb a specific emotion with medicine. A person ends up numbing several emotions and in the process that robs that person of their life of joy. Hey, I'm all about pills. I'm all about prayer. I'm all about pills and prayer. All right, I just don't, I want to kind of ward off some emails I might get, okay? 
But do you, do you get this? Ever thought about that? Worry, it's unproductive. There's something about us. Maybe it goes back to the uncertainty and the certainty. Maybe it goes back to whether our lives are going to be crippled by fear or characterized by faith. But we think by, and look, the Bible's all about planning. Make some plans. But you're going you're to discover, right, you're going to discover God laughing when you make a lot of your plans, to quote from an Irish proverb. Anxiety weighs us down. It's unproductive. Tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. And Jesus is saying, hey, today, today needs you. I bought a book a couple of weeks ago at Lemuria because I want to I support the local booksellers, right? And send Barnes and Noble and all those other guys packing. I'm just kidding. But I, I bought a book called How to Be Here. And I haven't read it. I don't know that I will read it. I just love the title. It's just good enough, the title, How to Be Here. Because how many how-to books are out there? The self-help section of the bookstore is the largest anywhere you go. Self-help, self-help, how-to, 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 how to do this, how to do that. I'm all about some how-tos. But I love the title, How to Be Here. Not how to get six-pack abs in three days. Not how to turn a million dollars into 10 billion like Donald Trump. Not how to do this, how to do Not to, how to acquire this skill or be proficient with this. Not how to do some of the great things. Not how to over-promise you and under-deliver where you'll buy the book but be disappointed in your measly little existence. None of that how-to. None of that great and grandiose stuff. Just how to be here. Is it just me or can anybody else appreciate that? How to be here because who's here? When you're with someone that you're supposed to be with, how often are you there? And I'm telling some of you, tomorrow is killing you. Tomorrow is draining you of the energy that God wants to give you today. How to be, how to be here. Worry is rooted in fear. Worry it gives a small thing a really large shadow. And worry Jesus taught here, it's unproductive. A second thing he would say about worry is worry is unchristian. If you'll look down in, that, in the teaching of Jesus, you'll see that he says, hey, even the Gentiles. Uh, some of your translations say even the pagans. I like that better because the... the here Jesus is expanding. Jesus is saying this good news. It's, it's not tribal. It's not national. It's not empirical. It's global. And the global world then represented, hey, this message is going from the Jewish people to the Gentiles, from those who are sacred and chosen and called to everybody. This is transcending cultures and tribes and languages. And he's saying there that even the pagans do that. Even the pagans, they seek after all these things. It's ironic that in America, the words on the dollar bill are what? In God we trust. And somewhere surveys show, reliable data shows that 90 plus percent of Americans worry about money every day. In church, is it any different for you? Is it any different for us? Is, is, is our value system any different? Christ teaches even the pagans, they're running after these things. 
I love the fact, and to put this verse in context, I think a lot of you know this, but when, when Jesus was teaching, he didn't say, all right, verse 24, now verse 25, now verse 26, now verse 27. This Sermon on the Mount is, is it's phenomenal. In fact, later, read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and read it through this prism. What would our world look like? What would my life, my family, our church, what would the world look like if we lived out the teachings of Jesus found in Matthew 5 and 6? It, to me, is life-altering. Brilliant. And Jesus teaches, right before he gets into worry, there's Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. If you still have an open Bible, you can look down to see if I'm being honest with you. But he says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, you can't serve God in money. He doesn't say you shouldn't. I try not to serve God in money. He's, he's explicit. He says you can't serve God in money. You'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one. You'll despise the other. It's not possible. To worry like we worry is to live like the pagans. It is, as stated earlier, to be a practical atheist. Worry is unproductive. Worry is unchristian. Well, what then? How then do we live any differently? I think Jesus gives us two things. I'll try to sound like a preacher here and have some alliteration. The first is, the first is priority. Priorities. What are we seeking? Notice the singularity in verse, I'm sorry, the plurality of verse two. The pagans are seeking after all these things. They're worried about all these things, but notice the singularity in contrast in verse 33. But seek you first the kingdom of God. Just one thing. And then Jesus is promising us that he'll add these things as he sees fit later. But the first thing ought to be the first thing. And it's singular. We seek after the kingdom. That's different than all the things that we seek after. We hurry through life. We cram as much as we can into every hour. We run at breakneck speed, hurrying and scurrying to get things. We're seeking after so many things. Where do you find refuge and comfort and security? What are you wishing for and waiting for and longing for and craving for? What's the deep desires of your heart? What objects are you seeking after? What is the object of your affection? What are you afraid of losing? Your hairline, your waistline, your bottom line, what is it that you're seeking after? Seek first, seek first the kingdom. Jesus says the how of this lifestyle, the how of being different. It first, it first comes through priority. What are you seeking? Secondly, it comes through pictures. What are you seeing? And Jesus here gives us a couple of pictures. He gives us a picture of the birds of the field. I'm sorry, the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. Now, what do we know about birds? Birds are great. Birds fly. You and I can't fly. We marvel at that. I was going to speak at Bellhaven, sad that our college students are gone this summer. And we said goodbye to a lot of them last weekend. But I went in the fall and spoke at the chapel for the Bellhaven football team. And right when I was walking in, about three minutes before I was standing behind the podium and speak to these guys, I walked under a tree and a bird dropped on my shoulder right there, just dropped. Now, I'm an old guy. I'm an old pastor. I have a lot of public speaking stories, but I've never had a bird drop on my shoulder right there. I remember training back when I was going through my first midlife crisis and I was training for a marathon and I 
missed a run earlier that morning. And I, I said, I'm, I got to do this. I'm going to do this myself. I was running out in the reservoir. I was way out in the middle of nowhere. And my running buddies, guys and girls weren't there. And I had water at stations. And I was going on a long one. And I waited till the middle of the morning. It was in the middle of the summer. It was hot and humid. And I, I got to one of my water stations with Gatorade and supplies. And nothing was there. Someone had stolen it. And I'm running. And I'm like, man, I'm, I'm going to give out. I shouldn't be doing this. And I was going through those mental calisthenics and gymnastics. Should I keep going? Should I stop? This is stupid. Don't hurt yourself. You're old. And I just saw this buzzard on the telephone pole just looking at me. <laughs> I thought, he knows. He knows this one's weak. This one's feeble. This one's going to fall. And I'll be there. He'll be mine. That was, I, that's a death with no dignity, can I just say? But for the most part, the birds that don't poop on us or wait for us to die to devour us. Birds are really great creatures that God gives us. Any bird watchers in the room? I'm learning more and more to watch birds. I watch my dog watch birds. My dog has me watching birds. My dog's like, Dad, come here, sit down. You're chill. This pastor stuff's getting to you. Look at the birds. Look at the birds in the air. Hummingbirds flap their wings. You know this? They flap their wings 60 times a second. Come on. Isn't that great? Let's try that. Can you do that? Six, don't even try. 60 times a second. And Jesus is saying he takes us to nature. Easier to do back then, right? He says, look at the birds of the field. What do we know about birds? Birds, they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns. Now listen, let's be honest, birds aren't lazy. You ever seen a lazy bird? Birds aren't lazy. You don't see a lot of lazy. If, if you see a lazy bird, the, the bird's probably hurt. Okay, help, go help the bird. But birds are not lazy. Birds are super active, and they, but they don't excessively build. They build, but they don't excessively build. And Jesus wants us to know, hey, I love the birds, but the birds are not made in the image of God. You are. You are more valuable than they. You have opposable thumbs. Isn't that cool? You've got opposable thumbs, You've got air condition, you've got refrigerators. You and I can build barns and we can build excessively because we're worried about tomorrow. And Jesus is saying, man, you're storing up and you're trying too hard. And just look at the birds of the air. I take care of them. All the more, I'm gonna take care of you. And the lilies of the field, this is a little more confusing. Let me cut to the chase and tell you, you remember Jesus said, teach us, uh, he taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And how did they make bread then? They put it in an oven. And how did they fuel the oven with the lilies of the field? They would take those lilies of the field, throw them into the oven as Jesus taught here. And that's how they would bake the bread. And Jesus is saying, you're worried about stuff. They don't toil. They don't spin. I'm taking care of them. And your life, much more valuable than theirs. Priorities, what do you seek? Pictures, what do you see? The goal of this teaching is not to come to you today and say, Jesus wants to give you a worry-free lifestyle. Because I tell you, this is, the, this is the warp and woof of living. This is the tough stuff. This question is very penetrating. It's very hard for some of you. Look, I'll be honest with you. I have, through the last uh, several years of my life, accused some of you of being worried. I've accused her of being a warrior. And what I've realized, there are times when if you spot it, you got it. Five years ago, 
Babe, God's called us. He's called us to start this church in Fondren. It's going to be called Fondren Church. Aren't we creative? God's called us to this. I'm not worried. What about that cushy job? What about, what about that? What about the steady paycheck? God's called us to do that. I'm not worried about a thing. How's God going to provide for our schooling and, the, and for the church? And how's, I'm not, follow me, babe. God's got this. And now about 200 times in the last four and a half to five years, I'm like, oh, baby, oh, Lord. Don't you? And Susan is the steadying, stable influence in our life in our walk, in our marriage. Thank God for her. And you know, you don't ever need to worry alone. You need to have somebody there. And here's what we think. I know some of you are thinking today, I won't worry if the lake doesn't have waves. But if I see some waves out on the lake, well, that's a reason to worry. And here's what Jesus wants to teach you. I don't know that he's gonna give you a lake without waves. Jesus wants to teach you that he'll be in the boat. And that's a big difference. Sometimes I justify my own worry by saying, I care. You ever do that? I'm worrying because I care. People, other people don't care. I care. I care about my family. I care about the school. I care about this church. I care about what's happening. Man, I care. I justify my worry. And I envisioned a conversation that Jesus had with me or wants to have with me recently where when I tell him I worry because I care so much and Jesus speaks back to me no Robert you worry because you trust so little what are you seeking after what are the priorities what are the pictures can you look around and see that God is good and that he's providing there was a grandpa that I know, an old man. When his young, young grandchildren would come over, he would have a box, a full box of Cheerios. And in that evening, he would go in the backyard and he would plant what he called donut seeds. He would just throw the donut seeds all over his backyard. He would tell his grandkids, when you wake up in the morning for breakfast, it's be donuts. They'd go to sleep. He'd tuck them in tight, him and grandma. He'd run out to the store, get the donuts, put them all over the back. Don't worry about hygiene in this illustration. <laughs> He'd spread the donuts around the backyard. The kids would get up, go pick up the donuts for breakfast. And those little kids, they believed him. Why? Because they're little kids. Okay, I'll give you that. They believed him because grandpa said it. And Grandpa loved them. And I would give you that picture today. Some of you, like me, are justifying your worry because you care so much. And I want to lean on you a little bit. Some of you need to hear this. I want to lean on you as I feel like the Spirit of God has leaned on me in my life recently as pastor of this church. Maybe you worry because you trust so little. Seek first the kingdom. And for us, we've reversed the order. How can we have the peace of Christ in our lives if we reverse the order of this? If we're seeking after all these things like the pagans do, and then we're asking God for a little kingdom on the side. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Don't you hate it when people do that to you? No, 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 no. No, 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 no. You're getting it wrong. Seek first the kingdom.
And he'll add all these things to you. Now, if we were in a small group and we're not, but if we were in a circle and you're at my house, I would say, hey, tell us about a time when you really worried about something. And then you move through life and you realize now, now you realize that you're no longer worried about that. That'd be really cool. Because in a way, we would display how neurotic we are. But also we would display how good God really is. Pray for me. Pray for me. I don't know if I'm ever going to read that book, but I just want to be here. Today, I want to be in today. I've got some plans for tomorrow. I think I've got a few appointments on my schedule. But today, I want to be here. When I'm with her, I want to be with her. When I'm with you, I want to be with you. And I want to envision my life at the feet of my heavenly father because Jesus teaches us here in Matthew 6, he really does care for you.